Siemens, ingenuity for life. Welcome to the Finding Innovation Podcast with your host, Alex Allison. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Dora Smith. Dora is Senior Director of Global Academic Partner Programs at Siemens Industrial Software. Dora, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. Um, so I know I just read out your title, um, and I know that you're in charge of Siemens Academic Partner Programs globally, but help us understand what that role actually entails. Sure. So um, we have an academic program where we look for ways to work with educational institutions at really every grade level and certainly want to get students more exposure and ability to use our software so that they can innovate with that technology. And so our team, we're in a global strategy group. We do some direct work with schools, but we also provide a lot of the enablement through all our colleagues around the world. So we do curriculum development. We do some real world competition support. And just look for any opportunity we can to see what schools need to really, you know, evolve or even really uh, have a revolution in uh, where they are today and where they need to go. And so somewhat of a, a consulting role as well. Okay, very cool. And I know, you know, there's there's no doubt you have a lot of experience. I know you've kind of been in industry 20 plus years, uh, but I'm kind of curious just to understand a little bit about you and how you got to this role. It's not a very... Um, you know, common role that I come across. So what's your background? What what led you to do what you do now? Um, so a, a number of things. Uh, I think education has always been an interest and a, a passion of mine. You know, I grew up uh, in a house where I had a mom that um, went back to school after uh, we all started school and got her bachelor's and then her master's in education. Um, so she's always been, you know, an inspiration uh, to me. And she went on to teach in, you know, both the public and the, the private sector but I also grew up with a, a dad and an uncle and several other figures in my life that were um, really entrepreneurs and have invented a number of things. Um, but, you know, engineering and getting an engineering degree really wasn't an option for them. And so I think from an early age, you know, I wanted to make sure I was a part of something where I could uh, pursue and encourage others to pursue education and give a chance for people to consider engineering as a profession. Um, and so I've just been really fortunate. I, I started in the engineering industry right out of school and just fell in love with it. And I've just been fortunate to get a number of different degrees from, you know, technical marketing, where I used to, you know, interview customers on how they used our software and write the, the data sheets that explained what our, our technology did um, to running, you know, academic and, uh, and various programs. So I've been doing this now for the last five years, and it's, it's just a great uh, job, and, and I'm really blessed to have it. So, Dora, one of the topics that you and I have discussed off air is a, a recent event that you were at where you served on a panel and had some just really interesting insights and dialogue that came out of that event. You know, do you mind sharing a bit about the specifics of that particular event and maybe some of the, the highlights? Sure. So that event uh, was the Engineering Deans Institute um, from ASEE. That's the American Society for Engineering Education. And they do this annual event where about 200 deans um, from throughout uh, the U.S. come together and really talk through some key issues for them. And I've been fortunate the last two years I've been on a panel there to represent a voice of industry, usually on a panel with other uh, customers of ours, uh, this time uh, with Northrop Grumman, as well as with uh, National Instruments and, and MathWorks. But it's an opportunity to uh, really hear from the deans what they need from vendors uh, like ourselves 
and to share with them what we're seeing. The topic they asked me to speak to was specifically around multidisciplinary curriculum. And so when you look at how we're trying to reform curriculum in engineering education, we've had a lot of silos traditionally. You know, you either became a mechanical engineer or an electrical engineer. And the need in industry now is really this cross-disciplinary, where they're broad but strong in at least two areas and have hopefully had some ability to to work across those different uh, domains. So we, we talked a little bit about that. You know, a few of the trends that came out is, you know, schools are really challenged, much like our commercial customers, but maybe even to a different level. You've got the system of the school, right? And whatever it faces and trying to meet certain accreditations. Then you've got the educator and what they're trying to do in the classroom and develop curriculum and stay, you know, improve their skills and stay up to speed with where things are. And then you've got the students. And one of the emerging trends is really the need for much more uh, student-centered or focused learning, giving them a lot more options to expand and go beyond what is in the traditional curriculum today as it sort of struggles to to evolve and reform. Um, So we talked a little bit about that. We talked about ways to upskill faculty. You know, we've experimented with doing some reverse sabbaticals where we have some of these educators come work in a Siemens facility and get a feel for what's really going on and be able to take that that knowledge back into their classroom. We talked about credentials because kind of beyond the degree or to augment the degree and stay up with where the digital skills are today and where they're headed, schools would like companies like Siemens to come on campus, you know, and really deep dive in a particular topic in a very short amount of time, much more shorter than a semester. Sometimes these are four-hour, eight-hour kind of sessions. So we talked about that. And then we talked a lot about experiential learning, that that's really the way you break down those boundaries between all those education disciplines. When you can give students the chance to work on real-world projects, competitions, they give them a chance to really experience what it's going to be like to use this technology. Because, uh, you know, we and our customers, we want graduates that come in really being able to you know solve problems with the technology not just know how to use it that's really neat i mean some of those terms i've i've never even heard of uh like reverse sabbatical and you were almost describing like this idea of micro credentialing and that's that's really interesting i'm going to ask you a follow-up question to that in just a minute but i'm really intrigued to ask you another question first you know I've, i've heard all this banter and rhetoric around a skills gap Some call it an engineering skills gap. Others call it a manufacturing gap. Some are even saying that it's an emergency. Is it really that dire? Is this just hype? You know, what's your perspective? And were there any insights to that coming out of that event? So, yeah, I would say I'm not usually someone to raise a flag and and make a situation seem more dire than it is. Uh, But when I got into this academic role, I saw a lot of studies outside and a lot of conflicting information. And so we actually commissioned our own study in that space because we wanted to know very specifically for our customers uh, and our prospects, what are they facing? And so it's interesting, uh, Tech Clarity is an industry analyst uh, in our space, did a study of 200 manufacturers. And one, it certainly came back that there definitely is a skills gap, but also this uh, impending situation. So a number of things are sort of coming together as a trifecta. One is, you know, the the companies see a lot of growth over the next five to 10 years. Uh, It's about 69% anticipated engineering growth. And yet a big majority of them are very top heavy with their experience. Nearly 100%, 98% in that study noted that they will face negative business impacts if they can't find and hire the right engineers. 
know, a couple other things that were interesting that that study pointed out is what, what are the most important skills that these manufacturers need? One is in the area of product costing. You know, so when you think about students may learn how to design something and how to analyze it and maybe even manufacture it, but do they understand the implications of the materials they're selecting? Again, students may enter the workforce understanding design, but not understanding all it takes to actually manufacture and manage a product you know, throughout its life cycle. So yes, the skills gap is, is very real and it's something that industry and education is fully aware of and hopefully really coming together now to try to address it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's all kind of connected now, right? And and so designing something affects so many things downstream and then getting that cycle back to create the best next product and MPI and all that, you know, it's all it's all kind of connected. So that's that's interesting hot take there. So I'm curious, you know, how did demographics and geographies play into this this skills gap, you know, both my parents come from a, a medical background where, you know, rural areas have really had a hard time attracting some of those highly educated, talented folks away from the city into these these rural areas. I would assume, you know, manufacturing is very prevalent in some of these more rural areas, but yet a lot of the engineers and highly educated folks are staying in more urban areas and working for some of the more, I'd say, flashy companies, whereas the the crux of at least this country is a lot of manufacturing in rural areas. I don't know if it's similar or different or, or what your perspective is there. Yeah, so I mean, a couple thoughts there. There was at this event uh, last week, one of the deans asking a similar question that, you know, look, everyone on the panel was from a large company. Uh, what about small to medium-sized companies? Or more so where she believes her students want to go to work is, is either at their own company as an entrepreneur or at a, a small startup, right? And those those may be in, in rural or, or not. But you know, how do we how do we facilitate that? And we spent some time kind of talking about even within big companies, even within Siemens, right? We have a whole focused around that entrepreneurship. Uh, it's called Next Forty Seven. So even encouraging you know students to consider kind of starting there and then kind of bridging off in, into their own businesses after that. But you know, you bring up a good point, and, and I don't know that we'll completely solve that. You know, I came from a, a very small town, and it's still a very small town and has a hard time attracting industry. But with where digitalization is today and where it's headed, I, I'm really hopeful that we're creating more opportunities where you don't need to be in the physical location. Yeah, I mean, that certainly resonates with me. I mean, there's this concept of an industry called design make anywhere. And so digitalization with that, companies are spinning up centers of excellence where you might be able to do a whole bunch of design work or simulation work. And that knowledge gain can be accessed from afar or at the manufacturing level. So that certainly makes sense. I was just going to add, Alex, you know, you brought up centers of excellence. And we have seen in some geographies, primarily in, in Asia, and I was just in a two-week trip in India not too long ago, they have invested in these centers of excellence in those more rural areas, right? So they're really trying to bridge out from the large cities and invest in these centers that that train the students in those skills right where they are, right? And and help them create uh, hopefully future companies and future employment opportunities. So that's the other idea is actually trying to move the education and bring the technology along with you to some of these more remote areas. Sure. So maybe to pivot back to the the universities in particular, are they responding or working with industry to overcome some of these challenges and, and maybe in what ways? 
Yeah, so it's a great question. I'd say it's a mixed bag. You know, for this panel that we did at the Engineering Deans Institute, um, we did a survey ahead of time to the deans to get some of their feedback. And it was interesting that um, it was a little bit all over the board. I mean, some of them have some very strong industry connections, strong industry advisory boards that advise them on on making changes to to curriculum. Others, not so much. Uh, And so that was one of the the takeaways that we really were recommending. And and it's a two-part. It's not all on the schools, right? You know, we as industry need to come to the table. Our customers need to also come to the table and work with local schools. It's the first question I ask um, one of our customers when I get you know calls to ask where can I, I find talent that's trained in you know this technology or that technology. I ask them, are they working with uh, the local schools? And usually they aren't. In fact, one of the things that Tech Clarity study I mentioned pointed out was that industry was saying we really should help drive about 18% of the curriculum in schools, and yet are hardly doing any of that today. So yeah, really coming back to how can we create stronger connections? And you can do that in a number of ways. I think the Tech Clarity report um, pointed out a number of specific things that companies can do. You know, when you look at, uh, I think they talked about working with engineering schools to develop curriculum, give them some of these expert experiential problems and real world challenges, and really get involved in mentoring uh, so that you're finding some of that pool of talent that you need to hire, but you're also helping that, that school evolve. For us as a company, we certainly, we've always had a strong apprenticeship and co-op program in Europe. A couple of other things that have been interesting. We've recently worked with one of our customers, Northrop Grumman and the Florida Institute of Technology. So this was a great example of, you know, a customer of ours coming together and saying, hey, can you work with us to help get this technology uh, into this curriculum? And we're going to help the school evolve that with a, a series of mentors that are going to be working side by side to help teach these students systems engineering, to give them some real-world examples. Uh, and, it, and it's gone so well that they also presented it at an industry event recently to suggest other schools do this as well. So you know, one of the things I shared at that Engineering Deans Institute was the story of Ashley Kimball, which is this amazing young woman at Grissom High School. She's a senior there, and she has a Foundations of Engineering and Design course And she was interested in maybe pursuing medical and also liked a little bit of engineering. And so when she found out that there was a possibility to have this combined biomedical degree, she knows that's where she wants to head now. And she created uh, this prosthesis for a veteran um, and reduced the weight of it by like 40 percent. She's just an amazing young woman. But she was able to do that in part, you know, her own talent, but also her professor, uh, Mr. Chris Faust, he really broke down these, you know, we always talk about breaking down the boundaries of innovation. He broke that down in his classroom. And he has students that are sophomore, juniors, and seniors on uh, a team, and they work together to, to learn from each other. And so you've got older mentoring younger, and they're also crossing over all these disciplines from medical, mechanical, electrical, and figure out how you kind of solve these problems holistically. So I could go on and on. There's a lot of great examples. <laughs> and what we, we said at this Engineering Deans Institute is it's all there, right? There's so many great best practices. Now we really just need to figure out how to scale those. So that's my hope that that will start to happen. Mm, those are some really fascinating examples. Um, I would love to hear more about those. Um, so, Dora, you know, I was going to circle back with you on, on this concept of reverse sabbatical. So academia typically, at least from my perspective, promotes academia, um, but it's with industry and the way that there's so much speed and change going on and it's ever evolving challenges and those rich experiences, you want to get those 
um, you know, in front of the students so that they can um, understand them and be taught to be successful. So our university is trying to get folks from industry into the classroom to teach those rich experiences. Yeah, I'd say some are, um, but it's not consistent across the board. And, you know, one of the things I challenged the deans last week was, you know, I was talking about this uh, Mr. Faust who teaches Ashley's Foundation of Engineering and Design course. And that, you know, I said, WWFD, you know, think what would Mr. Faust do? Because he's really <laughs> revolutionized the, the curriculum there. Um, but he came from industry. And so we have seen a number of schools um, really try to change by bringing in industry directly into their staff. You will have at some schools where they have folks who have been in academia their whole career, right? And so it's much harder for them to change and to bring that change. So one, they could certainly hire industry, um, but they don't have to if, again, they have these strong industrial advisory boards. So I think we're, we're seeing some schools do that. We're just not seeing it consistently across the board. I think industry is willing to support and help them along the way. We just have to figure out the easiest way to make that happen and make those connections. And, uh, you know, got a lot of ideas there we certainly could, could dive into, but we've got to break down that boundary that exists often between academia and industry and, and make this happen more consistently. Well said. Dora, I want to turn our attention to what is being done by Siemens and how our listeners can really just get involved. Um, could you give us a feel for how Siemens views these challenges and their active role in bridging this gap? There's two key areas we've made investments in the last two years, and that is around curriculum. We've done more of this multidisciplinary curriculum that an educator can just take out of the box and, and upgrade their curriculum. Um, we've done things in some hotter topics. So there's additive manufacturing curriculum uh, available, uh, some of those type of topics. And then the second area we've been making quite a bit of investment is in the competitions. Um, so there's always been some level of real world competitions. In the past, they were very heavily automotive only. And we're starting to see other industries, certainly aerospace, uh, a lot in robotics. And so we're trying to, to directly support those um, as much as we can globally, because that is really where students get the extra the experiential learning. Curriculum and competitions are the two big things where we've made investments. And, and in broader Siemens, right, we have all other uh, brothers and sisters in Siemens. There's been some interesting things. Um, our, our USA colleagues developed an apprenticeship playbook, uh, which helps really industry understand how do I set up an apprentice program like I've heard at uh, Siemens and other German manufacturers and roll that out. We're also expanding, I, I know in the U.S. in about nine states, our apprenticeship program. Um, so there's a resource like that that helps kind of educate a company on what it can do. We also look for opportunities where we, with a, a customer, can work directly with the school and help them evolve. Um, and so whenever we can create that kind of three-pronged partnership of people using our technology, the, the vendor, uh, the technology provider, and the school, that's when we see things really be able to change more quickly in an educational environment. You know, Siemens... Beyond our software, we have a lot of hardware in other parts of Siemens, and we've brought those two together in a number of uh, Industry 4.0 or digital labs. See that quite a bit in India and in China and Australia in particular, but also starting to see some of those now in the U.S. and some expansion of those uh, in certain parts of Europe. So the ability for us as Siemens to really help consult a school, not only on the digital software side of things, but on into the manufacturing, even into the, the PLC side of how you code the machines to get things manufactured, gives us a really holistic package of what we can, can bring to the educational space. That's really interesting. I mean, the whole idea of modern apprenticeships, I was 
was actually curious to understand if that's still attractive for you know millennials coming out of school or if that was kind of a, a dead thing because I you know I, I know a lot of times that is extracurricular you've got to go do that at a summer or or sometime at a term so I was wondering if that was actually now getting baked into a curriculum where to earn your degree or your advanced degree you now have to do certain stints of apprenticeship or maybe some sort of formal program or mentoring and and what was you know, gaining traction or what was actually working that both the the students were interested in and it was providing value to the industry. So that's an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see more schools give credit uh, so that that is more baked in and not extracurricular. In some countries or particularly zones, you know, across Europe, it's always been that way. Like there's always been an apprentice piece, an applied piece that was baked into a program where you go to school for a semester and then you're working or you may have a half on half off where you're going for three days of a week uh, to school and then two days uh, you're going and doing the applied part. Um, And so where we can make that happen more globally, um, I think we will all be much, much better off. So, you know, I believe everyone should always be learning something. And so a question I always love asking folks is, what books are you currently reading? And you seem like a very naturally inquisitive person. So this question should be perfect for you. So curious to pick your brain on what book you're currently reading. And and then maybe you can segue that into where can our listeners go to learn more and get involved in taking on some of these challenges head on? Siemens as a company sent out this digital readiness checklist, right, where you answer a series of questions across different digital domains. And then based on those answers, they've curated a bunch of content, much of it external to Siemens, on different courses or YouTube videos, TEDx type talks that that you can take. And um, uh, several of the deans asked me afterwards, can you please send us that so that they can themselves go through it and, and may even want to recommend it to, uh, to students. So that's one that I've actually been taking a number of those those courses and, and reading some of the reading material that was recommended through that, that digital readiness uh, checklist. Work-wise, one that I, I finished not too long ago that was interesting was one that's called Disrupting Class. And it was really focused on this idea of disruptive innovation to education, the idea of much more student-centric or individualized learning. You know, think about the, the educator really being more on the side in the classroom and the student is, is self-teaching through a lot of online learning and leveraging the professor more as a mentor. But even to really the idea of mass customization for academia, we still have a ways to go there to, to get to that. So, yeah, disrupting class is one I'd, I'd recommend. Another one that's interesting, um, we've been focused on this a lot as, as a company as we've merged now with Mentor Graphics and a, a company that was really our same size is uh, the speed of trust. And so we've been working through that uh, in in my team where we kind of look at each of these trust uh, uh, behaviors in each of our uh, team meetings. But it's it's really all about how do you, you know, strengthen yourself and or your team, right? Uh, Your credibility through two areas. One, competence, which is what you would do in in just regular ongoing learning opportunities. And then in character and and looking for ways that, especially in a team dynamic, uh, you're, you're building up that, character connection. Well, I'm glad you added that last one because I was about to say I'm going to really have to up my reading game. It was wonderful to hear your thoughts on rethinking education to solve the skills gap and how we can really all play a role in in some of the various solutions you've put forth today. This is Alex Allison and thanks for listening. So long. Siemens. 
Ingenuity for life.